Welcome to Get Your Fix, a podcast bringing you insights and expertise in facilities management, brought to you by Vixo, changing the way the world sees facilities management. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get Your Fix, a Vixo podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure having you listening along once again. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing to our podcast, Get Your Fix, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also going to our website, vixo.com, for more information on Vixo's solutions and services, but also more Vixo content like episodes of this podcast, videos, articles, blogs, and more. So on today's episode of Get Your Fix, we're digging deep into requests for proposals and specifically RFPs for maintenance facilities. Many factors, which we'll explore in detail today, are leading facilities to re-examine their vendors and their partners. And in the process, these facilities are realizing the sheer number of options out there for vendors. So they're asking themselves the questions, how do you know whether the company's size or specialties or business model, et cetera, et cetera, are in your best interest? Are they really going to be that partner that's going to stick it out with you? And how do you figure that out? Today, we're helping our listening audience get better better prepared for running a facility maintenance RFP to determine who is the best vendor for their needs and how to properly evaluate said vendors during the selection process. So for insights, I'm pleased to welcome Rick Upton. He's Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Vixo. Rick, great to have you on. How you doing? My pleasure. I'm doing well, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, great, great. I'm really looking forward to unpacking your thoughts here. I think there's a lot of uh, really timely and also kind of long-term insights that we're going to be breaking down. So pleased to have you on and let's go ahead and jump in. Happy to. So I think we need to start by understanding why we're even having this conversation in the first place. So, you know, facilities look for uh, maintenance help for a lot of reasons, some more recent that we can tie to COVID, some that are more expected and um, procedural that facilities have been dealing with for decades. And I think it's important to define these so that we can better understand the potential solution. So if you don't mind, could you break down for us first some of the more recent, especially if we tie it to COVID, context for why we're seeing a lot of facilities need some maintenance help? Well, clearly this has been a very dynamic uh, couple of months and doesn't show any signs of slowing down because of the market pressures that many of our customers are facing, not only with COVID, but the other effects that COVID is driving. So when you look at the marketplace today and the changes that are going on, both from the retail landscape, retail and restaurant landscape, companies are having to make some tough decisions in terms of how they remain competitive or how do they position themselves better when hopefully the marketplace opens back up and things return to some semblance of normality. So clearly, one of the areas that they're under tremendous pressure is, is from costs, both from the operating expenses at those locations, but also from a headquarters spend. 
How effectively are they managing their costs when staffing and the, and the people required to support all of those remote locations? So many of them are looking for cost savings and for best practices and how they can better leverage a headquarters spend in managing all of their facilities. That's one of the primary reasons that we see customers going out to market today is both the pressure at the location level, but also on their headquarters spend. Now, how long do you imagine uh, these more recent COVID uh, motivators for finding facilities help will remain in the long term? Do you think these will sort of smooth over and we'll see new fresh motivators down the line? Or do you think some of this is going to remain and going to be a consistent issue now moving forward for all facilities? Well, clearly we're going to see a spike in activity as retailers and restaurateurs reopen their facilities to try and look for those efficiencies. But this is a process that effectively never goes away. In fact, many companies are under obligation or requirements to go out to marketplace every three to five years to retest the marketplace. They want to make sure that they have the best providers, but more importantly, that they're paying market prices on maintaining their facilities. And they want to test that market and benchmark against what their current provider is delivering from both a day-to-day cost per service as well as their innovation in bringing new cost, cost solutions. In addition to that, there's consistent innovation going on regarding technology on not only how to execute repair and maintenance and capital projects, but also how to manage them project manage them, as well as looking at the information systems to monitor those those changes to the marketplace. So they want to make sure that they're current in the marketplace and leveraging all the latest tools out there. That just never goes away. But clearly, coming out of COVID, you're going to have a lot of folks who want to, in essence, reset their normal and then continue to test the marketplace as suppliers are able to survive or not survive going into this post-COVID period. Okay, so we broke down the more current and timely context. Now, I know there are plenty of other more long-term expected sort of reasons for why facilities need maintenance help. Everything from mergers and acquisitions to performance issues or process changes. Can you break some of those down and uh, how they end up putting these facilities in a situation where they need extra maintenance help? Yeah, sure. Great question. So obviously, there's the normal exploration for better efficiencies and cost. Then beyond that, there are the customer's search for better solutions and better technology. They may also have a situation where their current provider is failing them or underperforming. There's many cases where a provider will enter into a new service agreement and invest heavily against an upfront new Uh, contract and then start to look for efficiencies. And sometimes that can reflect in underperforming or a failing of some of the key performance indicators that they are delivering to the customer. There also may be a situation where the customer is dealing with a trade which really isn't their core competency, or it's a trade that's very critical to their success. They may have a current solution which may be done through internal resources and they're having to make a, a make versus buy scenario that they can no longer staff 
the right personnel or expertise to continue to self-perform those services. And they want to test the market to see if can they get the kind of service levels that they would like versus the overhead and costs, whether it's W-2 employees and benefits in order to continue to operate. We're seeing a lot of that in the marketplace today. Retailers and restaurateurs who have been self-performing on some of these services who are now testing the marketplace to see if they can outsource. And obviously, more on the upside, post-COVID, it's going to be a very aggressive marketplace with some, some people failing and others looking to thrive and take market share. So you may have a situation where a customer is looking to scale faster to take advantage of that growth opportunity through mergers and acquisition. They may buy a competitor and have then inherit a repair and maintenance solution, which isn't consistent with where they have been successful in the past. And they want to go out to back out to marketplace to see if there's a better solution. In all of this is sort of a base understanding that facilities are wanting to outsource a lot of their maintenance programs or find third parties to fill some of these voids. Why are you seeing this manifest in a desire for outsourcing facilities maintenance programs rather than investing in in-house programs or you know trying to uh, just bring more salaried employees on to fill those roles? Dan, I would see this falling into two factors. First is the the technology that is evolving out there is at a rapid pace. If you think about the challenge of trying to staff an organization that is trying to stay current, that's a very heavy lift. They have a lot of responsibilities, many of which are firefighting on a day-to-day basis. And how aggressively or how much of their time do they invest in what's the newest, latest technology, which is providing great efficiencies out in the marketplace? It's usually a firefighting situation and they start to fall behind from some of the latest best practices and technology. So you have to go out to marketplace to find out those companies who are dedicated to these kinds of services and what technology and services and innovations that they're using. And you want to get a piece of that in order to survive and thrive. And then obviously what I mentioned earlier is the increasing burden of overhead and costs. The cost of employees, of W-2 employees, litigation, benefits, all of that comes with having a dedicated staff of repair technicians is becoming more and more difficult to sustain. And then on top of that, as you look to backfill, say, retiring technicians, there's not a lot of folks out there who have gone to tech schools or have taken this up as a profession despite the great salary that they can garner from that, it's a very competitive pool out there. And so they're obviously either looking to take advantage of an outsourcing solution or being forced to consider it. All right. I feel like we've gotten some good context for why uh, we're even having this conversation in the first place. Now I want to break down the RFP process uh, a little more specifically. So a lot of times the RFP, the request for proposal, is mentioned as the core way for soliciting qualifications from contractors, in this case, maintenance contractors, to find the right vendor to partner with. 
Beyond this, there's also an RFI, which in a lot of ways is a solid step one that leads us neatly into a more effective RFP. So can you break down the relationship between those two uh, and maybe why it's important to do an RFI before an RFP? And then we'll get into more specifics on uh, how to structure an RFP. Yeah, great point. So typically, you will see a process which includes both an RFI, a request for information, plus a request for proposal, or a company may simply go out to RFP. We would strongly advocate that you start with an RFI in a much wider net in order to test the marketplace and to see who is a potential competitor out there. You may think you know who the players are, the most innovative, the most successful, but why, why trust that potentially dated information? You may also have some incumbents out there who have struggled recently in terms of staying current and thriving and growing. So we would strongly encourage that you go out with an RFI and test those assumptions on what the current marketplace or what you believe are the leading providers and look at a couple of dozen different companies, someone you've never talked about. Ask your peers in the industry who they might use. Obviously do some internet searches and see who may be new on the marketplace. And then structure that RFI questionnaire around what is innovative, what kind of growth, uh, what's your experience, what kind of staffing do they use in order to support an organization? Can they scale effectively along with your growth. Those important considerations to say, is this a potentially new solution provider out there that I want to include in the RFP? All right, let's get more specific into RFP structuring and trying to get clearer on some of the questions that facilities should ask, not only in the RFP, but also be asking themselves as they sift through the various vendors and make said right decision. So I think first thing we need to do is better understand how RFPs are structured today, where they have some failings and where they have success. So based on what you've seen in the industry, how do you find many facilities get information for their RFPs and why? You know, what is typical and why and what do you find effective versus ineffective? So the most typical approach that we see is the classic, what is your labor rate? By trade, by geographic coverage, give me a dollar amount. Are you $99 an hour? Are you 50 bucks an hour? And I'm going to place a lot of weight on that value. Now, unfortunately, this can lead you into a trap because total cost to serve, while has some influence on rate, has more to do with duration. Let me give you an example. So you could have one vendor that is proposing an $80 an hour rate, and they may typically perform a typical repair in say two hours, two and a half hours time, let's say. And then you have another provider whose rate is $85, $5 more an hour. And a lot of companies would naturally look at that $5 an hour as an automatic elimination. They're not price competitive. However, when you look at that company's ability at $85 an hour to perform that same repair in an hour and a half instead of two and a half hours, they're actually going to deliver you 25% total cost savings because their duration is less. So somewhere in the RFP process, there's a couple of different ways to do it, but at some point you got to get past labor rates, or at least you have to factor them in to duration as well. Same example applies to parts cost. 
not only what you pay for a part, but how often do you use parts? We have a lot of companies that are out there, rather than using repair and maintenance and troubleshooting codes, they are what we call part changers. They simply go in and start ripping out subassemblies, putting in new parts, and hoping it makes the repair. So another great measure that you can include in an RFI or an RFP is what percent of your work orders result in no parts usage, where it's simply a labor repair. So I can't stress enough that you've got to get down below the simple questions of what is your labor rate. And there's a number of different ways to do that, one of which is to present a couple of typical repairs to a company and ask them to price it out. Not only what their labor rate might be, what their classic duration would be, and what, um, what their parts cost can be. After award, those kinds of, of information and results can then be held accountable for them to say, gee, in your RFP response, you answered that your typical duration is two hours. I'm looking at your actuals and they're more like three hours. What's the difference? So I think I beat that one up pretty well. So when you get beyond cost, then there's a whole litany of considerations that you might want to ask for some details from each one of your RFP participants. Certainly you want testimonials from similar customers. You want their ability to provide references of folks that you can exchange emails with. We typically encourage email exchange rather than phone calls. It's much more in, in consideration to your existing customers that they can handle it via email. But be able to ask some questions or get in touch with someone who will speak frankly about how their experience has been with that current provider. Another area is best practices. So you might simply ask them, what's their experience of implementing best practices that a current client didn't use before? What were you able to bring to the party in terms of innovation? Another consideration is some kind of quarterly business review process. Many customers want to be able to take the results of an RFP action throughout the relationship and be able to present those results higher up in their organizational structure to show the results that they have gotten from that RFP process. And you'll want to ask what kind of data, what kind of results, what kind of reporting on a quarterly basis that they could expect from that vendor so that they can effectively show to their leadership the success of that RFP process. Well, just to not leave you uh, struggling to find some uh, direction amongst this topic because it is a very detailed, let's go ahead and get a little more specific, Rick. So I want to, I guess, highlight that when a company is choosing to outsource a facilities management vendor, whether it be an all-inclusive partnership or just for a specific line of service, there are still some very important questions that they should be asking or covering in their RFP. Some of the basics include costs, best practices, testimonials from similar customers, and also aligning on business objectives with said vendor. So let's go ahead and break down why some of these are so important to include in an RFP for a successful RFP. So let's start with uh, costs. This one seems, uh, like you said earlier, one of the most basic and straightforward, I guess, 
motivators or factors for helping a facility decide which vendor to go with. So go ahead and break down where costs matter, maybe where they don't, and how much weight uh, should be put into cost. Yeah, great question. Clearly one of the most important considerations that everyone goes through. And one of the most obvious ones that we have to face is, is this a matter of deciding whether to change vendors or not? You may be in a advantageous position with your current provider that when factored the cost of change of making a move from one vendor to another may not justify that change. You have existing relationships. You have a rhythm with that uh, that vendor. You have a level of trust with that vendor. You've formed personal relationships. You know, we as salespeople always talk about the attributes of what our company delivers to our customers. But many of us understand that the relationship is potentially as important on that level of trust and consistency and delivering of, of, of results than are the numbers, the ones and the zeros. So I think a, a client has to first understand what is their threshold of cost savings for them to make a go, no-go decision? What kind of savings must they see to justify the cost of change to make that move? But clearly, the cost pressures are not going to go away. They're only going to get more in intensive. So rather than simply looking at the numbers, one of the areas that you have to try and dig into the vendor is what has been your track record to deliver ongoing or sustained cost savings? How do you continue to deliver savings year over year and deliver innovation, which continues to drive down my cost? Am I riding the best horse or am I simply going to you know, hitch my wagon to the lowest cost provider, but also the lowest level of service. And that that equation quickly is a net zero sum at, uh, uh, you know, after year one or two. So that's that's an area to to be uh, to be focused on. Perfect. Thanks for breaking that one down. Next one would be uh, including some questions uh, or covering the concept of best practices in an RFP. Obviously, I think it's it's critical to understand how a company views its best practices and uh, where it places priority and service quality, you know, customer service and otherwise before partnering with a vendor. So can you break down how uh, best practices fit into a broader strategy for a quality partnership and why you find that important. Yeah, you bet. Clearly, one of the reasons that you want to consider outsource is you're trying to try broaden the audience who are working on your behalf to try and improve performance and lower costs. And a key test for a vendor is, what have you done for others? What best practices have you brought to the marketplace? or shamelessly stolen and applied to one of my competitors that I can take advantage of as well. A subset of that best practices is the documentation and repeated performance of those best practices. Is this kind of a one or done, or do you see a consistent execution through great documentation and measures of KPIs, as well as quarterly business reviews, which are looking for measuring and reporting on how those best practices are delivering results? Now, I think there's only so much that a company can say about itself. I think another key part is also hearing from other people that have partnered or worked with said companies. So that would lead to testimonials or use cases of these vendors and partners in action and some words from 
the folks that have used their services. So can you break down how that gets included in an RFP and why that's important as well? If you're not asking about references and testimonials, you're missing a huge opportunity to get the insight of how truly excellent does a vendor perform for their existing client base? Customers have a number of peers out there. In fact, you know, many of the vendor network look at trade shows as the biggest opportunity for customers to come and evaluate their services. Whereas if you look at it from the customer's point of view, that's maybe number two or three on their list of priorities to go to a trade show. Number one is to network with their peers and ask them, who do you use for HVAC or plumbing and electrical? And the second piece of it is going to some of the seminars and learning best practices of what's what's innovative out in the marketplace. Walking the trade show floor is a distant third for many of the customers. So I think it's important to press each one of your vendors through the RFP process to give me access to your current customers, as well as those customers who you no longer do business with. Why did you end the relationship? Was it a mutual decision? Was it a result of an RFP that you simply weren't the lowest price provider? Or were there other issues? So many times I applaud customers who are asking the question, give me references from at least three folks that you currently do business with. Those are a layup. We all have our favorite customers. But in addition, give me three customers who you no longer do business with in the past, say, three years and give me access to those folks on why it didn't work out. And then finally, I think it's important to also try to discern whether or not your business objectives are aligned between you, the facility, and your potential vendor. So can you give us a little context on that as well? How do you see that being turned into questions or a context that can be discerned through an RFP? And how does a set of aligned business objectives make or break a solid partnership? So when you look at ultimately the objectives of an RFP, they're in many ways, they're going to fall into two buckets. The first bucket is costs. Obviously, what is what can I get from an advantage of lowering my cost to operate? But the other is around expertise on what my current systems are, help me transition to new technology, or help me find the latest technology which can help leverage my total cost to operate lower, whether it is lowering the average cost of repair or increasing the mean time between failure on my equipment out there. And so you wanna make sure that you're looking for vendors who can articulate what is their primary value that they're bringing to the relationship. Is it one or the other, or is it both? And how does that jive with what their customer references and testimonials are saying in terms of what value did they bring to this relationship, expertise or cost? All right, so we've set up how an RFP should be put together, some context for what will inform a quality RFP that can then lead to a uh, better pick of vendors, right? Now, once that RFP is sent out and you start getting some responses from potential partners, what are some of the key measurements you think companies should look at when evaluating these responses and why? Uh, you know, what are some of the red flags, some of the thumbs up they should be looking for, et cetera? 
couple of important considerations, which first should be sorted out internally with the customer in terms of what they believe are some of the key enablers to a successful relationship and outcome. So one of the first things you want to think about is what is the mix that I'm driving for between self-perform and subcontracting or said a different way, asset heavy or asset light. This has probably been the one area of greatest debate and contrast from one customer to the other in terms of the, the degree in which they strive for a self-perform solution. How often am I contracting directly with the service provider as opposed to a consolidator who is using an independent network of providers? We could debate this long and hard. From my perspective, it's always going to be a mix. Rarely can you find a true national provider who is all self-perform. There is almost always going to be some element of subcontracting going on in order to provide the, the right level of coverage and responsiveness. If a customer has locations in the Mountain West or some parts of the Southwest, you simply can't put enough company-owned techs everywhere in order to get a four-hour response time on an urgent service call. So you got to be comfortable in terms of what that mix is. The second and related topic is geographic coverage. How remote of stores do you have? And how important is it to serve your heartland stores as opposed to maybe some of those stores which are a little bit more off the grid? Where is that strength? I, um, the best, one of the best questions that I'm asked from customers as I'm engaging them on a potential relationship is that they ask me, Rick, where's your strongest geography? Where can you do it the best? I know that you're telling me you're nationwide, all of US and all of Canada, and you've got customers that you service them across both countries. But tell me the major metro areas where you are the most solid, where I'll see the best performance. And quite often we can then contract for a pilot in some of those major metros, as well as contrasted in some of those secondary marketplaces so that they understand how well I can perform potentially across their entire network. The third area that I would, I would encourage a customer to talk to the vendors about is trade expertise. How much of this do you own versus subcontract? If I have a problem on a particular store and you've sent your repair technicians out twice already and it's still not fixed, who at your headquarters is jumping into that as a subject matter expert and help guide that technician through an effective solution? How much can I lean on your expertise on a day-to-day -day basis, as well as to come back and guide me on what is the new leading edge technology or equipment that I should be considering? And a closely related matter is the ongoing decision around repair versus replace. So I've got a piece of equipment. Uh, let's say it's a rooftop unit, an air conditioning unit, and I've got three units on the roof. So the first question is, do you even know what my spend is per unit? Or you do simply know, well, you spent this much on this particular store, but I couldn't tell you which individual unit you spent how much on. So that's an important consideration. How much, how much granular detail can you report back on what my spend is? And then when I run up into that, you know, that $3,000 repair, can you tell me the age of that unit, the spend history on that unit, the subcomponents which have been replaced on that unit so that you can help 
guide me on an effective repair or replacement decision. Perfect. Rick, I feel like we're really getting to the meat of this. Thank you so much for your insights so far. Uh, Next thing I want to better understand is once these options are clearer, RFPs have been sent out, responses have been received, and let's say this has been whittled down to only a, a few, a handful of potential partners How can companies or how should companies uh, internally evaluate who would be the best fit? Who needs to be brought to the table to help make these decisions? How do you maybe often see companies try to evaluate this? Where do they potentially misstep or not get enough perspective to make the right decision? Go ahead and break that down. How do you internally evaluate and why? So you've had the best PowerPoint presentations you've seen in a long time thrown at you. (laughs) Death by PowerPoint. Oh, yeah. And so now now what are you left with? How do you jump off the cliff arm in arm with this vendor that you've fallen in love with? I would caution, don't jump. Consider a pilot. So anybody can put together a fantastic PowerPoint, string together long relationships with current customers, with glowing accolades on how they've performed in the past. But every customer is different. I can take one customer relationship in which over the years I've refined the communication path. I've put my best people on uh, on that customer. We've customized the coverage maps. We have refined the parts on each one of the trucks. We have this thing dialed in so tight, we are nailing it. And then a potential new customer comes along and it's different, not in big ways, but in a lot of little ways. And then also because of that internal concern that a a potential customer has is, is this the right move? I would strongly endorse considering a pilot. Take a portion of your stores and we would strongly encourage to get a large enough sample size in at least two metro markets and put a vendor or vendors to the test. Set up a pilot situation where there are assigned stores against those trades. Doesn't have to be potentially all of the trades, but a couple of the key trades and put them to the test, at least for a, say, a six to nine month pilot period and evaluate their performance only after that. So you assign them the stores, you launch, see how well they launch, and particularly measure what is their performance on the first, say, 50 service calls? How well do they integrate customers? How well do they stand up new service providers and equip their trucks with the right uh, spare parts on hand? And then finally, how do they then report on the results? They're obviously going to give you their best in terms of the case they're making to go from pilot to full implementation. But certainly don't make that leap without first testing them in some kind of pilot configuration. Now, before we get to the last few questions of the podcast, uh, I want to take a chance to loop Vixo in in a more specific way. Uh, Can you fill our audience into where Vixo fits in to this broader strategy for deploying a quality RFP, finding the right partner, and um, developing a holistic and long-term relationship with said vendor? Well, Dan, thanks for asking us such a softball question. (laughs) (laughs) Got to have at least a few in there, right? (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. So the strength of Vixo is around the diversity of solutions that we can provide to a customer. We can do a lot of different things for different customers depending on what they're trying to achieve. 
Fixo has a broad range of services covering all of the U.S. and Canada, a wide range of trades that we can provide. And we do so on an individual trade basis or on a full integrated facility maintenance program. And then inevitably beyond the day-to-day -day repair and maintenance, there's always project work, which we have a, a dedicated separate project management team that can roll up programs, whether it be parking lot restriping or a signage uh, change out. So there's a lot of capability that Vixo can provide, but the most important value that Vixo provides is around cost savings. We have some technology which allows us to look at a rich history of repairs and be able to refine what that duration and parts costs are so that we can deliver savings on a call-by-call -call basis. And this kind of technology, which is patented, we've been able to deliver savings in excess of 15% to most of our customers. Perfect. Thank you for the context. Let's go and wrap up the podcast with a few more quick questions. I would also like to... I guess, uh, break down here with you as providers are going through this selection process where they often encounter the biggest or most consequential issues or hiccups. So what do you see as the biggest challenges that companies run into when going through the process of selecting a facilities management provider and why? And, uh, you know, maybe what some of the work that Vixo is doing to assuage said issues. Yeah, great question. Um, there's, there's nothing more challenging than to invest a great deal of resources and creativity into responding to an RFP only to run into a wall with the customer that they really haven't thought it out how they're going to evaluate one provider versus the next. And so we would strongly encourage during the RFI process, pick either an existing provider or a new provider that has impressed you. Uh, has great experience, this is not their first rodeo, and work through the development of a weighted scorecard for evaluating what the RFP responses will be. As I mentioned earlier, we've participated in a number of RFPs which actually can take the input on parts costs, labor costs, durations, uh, other fees and services, and you can effectively build an average cost of repair over a certain number of standard repairs and give you a very quantified comparison of one versus the other. And then obviously, as I referenced earlier, what are the priorities in terms of the core competencies or strengths of a new vendor that you want to see and rely upon and weight those and again, some kind of uh, balanced scorecard. Secondly, I want you to think about who truly owns the decision on the RFP. Traditionally, many of them are operated by the procurement organization, sometimes with varying levels of involvement from operations or facilities. And where we have seen it be very successful is where facilities plays an active role, not only in the development, but also in the Q&A and the evaluation as well as the receiving of the presentations of those final solutions so that they are starting to get a feel for what the level of expertise, especially through kind of the live Q&A of the vendor and what kind of experience and capabilities are they bringing to this relationship that you can uh, certainly rely upon. 
And then finally, as I've mentioned before, is validating the performance and savings claims. <laughs> Don't take the vendor's word for it. You have some peers out in the marketplace, maybe even some competitors in, uh, in your segment of business that would be I think more than open and transparent to talk about their experience with their vendors on uh, the value that they bring and how long of a relationship that they have had with them. Yeah, important to always have that critical eye and ear and, uh, you know, double and triple check things for yourself before making those partnerships, because even if intentions feel the best, business and profitability and, uh, you know, livelihood of uh, workers are often on the line uh, if these partnerships end up panning out miserably. So, yeah, great advice there, Rick. Last couple questions here. There's an ongoing debate within uh, the RFP world that seems to pendulum swing between A, do I partner with one single provider who has full responsibility over this relationship, or B, do I partner with two or three providers to diversify supply, or, uh, you know, have one main provider and then a few backup providers on call, where do you see the pendulum landing or, you know, what's your opinion on that debate? Do you think it should be one? You think it should be multiple? Do you think it's just really dependent on the company and their individual needs? Give us your thoughts. Yeah, great question. If um, this is kind of a uh, uh, a heart or a, or a mind <laughs> answer. So in my heart, I want to say, Soul source it, give it to Vixo, we will take care of you. And we've got some great relationships that we do just that. However, if I rely upon my mind and my experience, uh, my advice would be to pick two providers, a primary and a secondary. I think you want to take advantage of leveraging your spend as best as possible, but you don't want to expose yourself in a sole source scenario. So where I have seen probably the best balance of of cost and reliability is to select a primary vendor that may have two thirds to three quarters of your system and then a backup or secondary provider who has a third to a quarter of your system. That way you've got a backup system and certainly that smaller vendor has the ability to scale should the primary falter. But then you also have a little bit of competitiveness that you can look at from one quarterly business review to the next. You have obviously two innovative players who are trying to bring their best technology to bear on the solution. But you have enough leverage with that larger provider that you want to be one of their largest and more important customers. And you want to be able to bring their best resources to bear because you matter a great deal to them. So I, through all of the relationships over the 20 years I've had in this industry, I think that's the best balance. Again, would love to have a sole source. And then sometimes that does make sense. But I think the best scenario is a primary and a secondary. Yeah, I feel like it's always good to have a backup plan, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In life as well as in facilities. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So last question, Rick, before we call it. It's been a great conversation so far. 
how do you advise that facilities get ahead of their RFP needs, even if they don't immediately think they're going to be looking for a vendor? A lot of the things that we broke down at the very beginning of the podcast were both uh, COVID contextual, but also broader things that pop in and out in the industry are a bit hard to predict, but are also kind of easy to expect eventually, right? So how can facilities get ahead of their uh, RFPs? as well as keep them future focused so that, um, you know, by the time they do have to look for a vendor, they're staying up with the times and they are looking for a, a vendor and a partner that meets all of their current but also potential future needs. So the two areas that should be part of a regular cadence in a facilities group, one is the networking side of it, which is obviously because of COVID has become very challenging. Facilities groups have come to rely upon trade shows to do that kind of facil uh, facilitating a, a networking and best practice sharing. You got to get more innovative and figure out a way to, to work around that. Uh, and that's forming relationships inside the industry and having a regular cadence of, you know, someone that you have a quarterly phone call with and compare notes and what you are seeing as um, best practices out in the, uh, out in the marketplace. The second suggestion I would have for you is to go out to RFI periodically, maybe with no intention to go to RFP. So as I talked earlier in the podcast about a, a set of questions or inquiries using a broad net across a number of different providers, look for those innovative players and test the marketplace in terms of Who's coming up in the marketplace? Who's gaining market share? Who's driving innovation and cost savings? And is that worthy of a deeper dive, a, a, a more detailed conversation that you might have? Rather than sit back and wait for this guy to potentially cold call his or her way into your life, do a proactive step and go out to the marketplace and ask for input. People like myself are very excited to bring you the latest innovation and insights that we are experiencing to get further consideration. And I think it would feed the facilities group to stay current as well. So those, those would be the two suggestions that I would strongly urge facilities teams to do to stay current. And Rick Upton, that does it for our conversation today on Get Your Fix. Thank you again for all your insights and for you know really coming prepared. I feel like we got a uh, great breakdown of how to you know, prepare for an RFP, how to launch an RFP, how to respond to said responses and really craft a strategy around it. So again, we've been chatting with Rick Upton, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Vixo. Rick, I really appreciate your time. Dan, thanks very much for the opportunity. It was exciting. I appreciate it. And before we call it completely, if folks want to find out more about Vixo's work in this space and uh, potentially get in touch, how can they do so? Please go out and visit Vixo.com and take a look at not only the services that we provide, but a number of great case studies like what, we, what we've been talking about to see how Vixo might be able to help you. Perfect. Rick, chat again soon. Thanks again. Thank you, Dan. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Get Your Fix, a Vixo podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you head to our website, vixo.com, or go to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Look up Get Your Fix, hit that subscribe button, 
for a full catalog of previous episodes as well as notifications when we drop new ones. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>